Thank you very much, praise team. I jumped up here because I have a lot to say today. So I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, verses 21. We're going to read verses 21 to 23 in just a moment. I'm Pastor Tim, the executive pastor. I'm glad you've chosen to worship with us here today. I am, begin- I am ending, this is the finale of the series we're calling American Christianity. Um, we've done a lot of talking about what this sermon is and is not, but I was sent a, uh, uh, an article this week and I wanted to read a uh, segment of it to you because I think it says exactly what we're trying to accomplish. <clears throat> when your allegiance is torn between your country and your God, American ideals can begin to shape your faith more than God. American ideals, uh, sorry, you transpose American values onto God. Believing God would think like an American. Celebrate American values, that's great. But at the end of the day, your, your citizenship is not with America. This is not your home. We've been trying to show that our culture can affect how we live and it can cause us to move away from the things of the Word of God. I'm not going to review the messages that we have um, spoken on the three weeks prior to this. I'm just going to share with you that today what we're going to deal with is that American Christianity teaches that it is a personal faith that doesn't need others. We were never meant to go alone, folks. The body of Christ needs to work together, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the church. I'd like us to read our... uh, passage together, and then we're going to jump off of this once again. Follow along with me. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. We've spent a lot of time talking about the evildoers. What I want to just point out this morning or remind you of is that these are church people. They would have been a part of a community of faith, but their faith was not in Jesus Christ. It was in their good works. They may have been in a community of faith, but they weren't of the community. You see this in their defense of their right to be admitted into the kingdom. They said, look, Lord, I did these things. Catch this, I did these things. They they paid a price and they expected to get something in return. This couldn't be any further from the truth of the kingdom of God or the word of God. I'm gonna share with you some personal pictures. I'm going to share with you some different communities that we are in to try to show you what the church is not and what it is. But before I do that, I want to say this to you. I think every believer ought to tell himself or herself, am I going to follow the Word of God or am I not? We all must come to grips with the fact that if we call Jesus Christ our Lord, we must follow what He says. So let me share with you some communities in life to try to illustrate to you what the church is not. I'm going to show you five communities. Four of them have have nothing to do with the church, but they influence us. The last one is really the best picture of the church. 
This is Galaxy Theater in Tulare. I don't know if you've been there, but they got some wonderful seats. I don't know how anybody stays awake when they watch a movie. But my granddaughters are going to a movie with our daughters. My, my daughters and I went to see Jurassic World together. And when you are in a movie theater, you are in, an, you are in a community. Do you know what that community is? You are an audience. So often we come to church and we think like an audience. We are not the audience. The Lord is the audience. When we worship, He is observing us. We are offering our worship to Him. And people say, oh, I know that. But listen to some of the things I hear people say. I really liked worship today. I didn't like worship today. It's too loud, too hot, not hot enough. It's too cold, not cold enough. That was a good sermon today. I didn't get anything out of the sermon today. Who's sitting in my chair? <laughs> See, we're thinking like an audience, when in reality we need to pay attention to the fact that the Lord is observing us. And people say, yeah, I know that. Are we aware of the audience, the Lord, when we are responding to an email or a text during worship? Are we aware of the audience? or the Lord when we come walking in late and everybody has diverted their attention to us? Are we really aware of the audience when we're checking the scores on football games? You may do that kind of covertly and quietly, but the Lord observes it. We are not the audience. The Lord is the audience. Bravo Farms is one of my hangouts. I eat there pretty regular, probably more than I want to tell you. But when I go into Bravo Farms, I pay, a, I pay to get a salad to take home and to eat, and I'm in a community when I'm in that role. Do you know what that is? I'm a customer. So often, we come into the church and we think like a customer. I pay for a service and they serve me. That is not what the church is. Someone wrote this, we are given in America the power of choice and religion has become a smorgasbord to choose your own church based on its ability to live up to your own preferences. That is not the church, but we think that way. These are, since my wife's gotten sick, I've had to uh, do shopping. I never did that before. Uh, these are my major hangouts, Super Target, Smart and Final. CVS has a drive-through, so it's real easy for the meds. I try to avoid Walmart, but occasionally I have to go in there. But when I am in those places, just like when you are in places like that, you are in a community. And do you know what you are? You are a consumer. You are a consumer. You go to the places that you feel most comfortable with and you expect them to provide for you. And if they don't, you leave and go someplace else. And that's so often how we treat the church. We take care of ourselves. We work for ourselves. We answer to ourselves, and that means we often attend church for ourselves. At the heart of the American psyche is self, which leads to the fourth community I want to share with you. That's our house at Christmas time. I take a lot of grief for the, all the lights I put up. You can't even see them all there. But that is illustrative of another community. And you know what? When you buy a home, do you know what community you are a part of? You are an owner. And so often, we think of the church like, like we own it. 
if you don't like Christmas lights because you own your home, you have the right to put them up or not. If I like Christmas lights, I can put them up or not. That's the way an owner thinks. But when we come into the church, so often we think I own the church. And so I want things my way. But that is not the way the church is created. In fact, the church does not belong to us. The church belongs to the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, it says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. The church is the body of believers and the Lord bought and paid for us. He owns the church. It is wrong for us to say, this is my church. I want it my way. That's the way an owner thinks. That's not the way we in the church should think. The fifth community is really the best picture of what the church is. You know what you are in that community? You are a family. That is the best picture of the church. And this is obviously pictures of our family. And if you look really close, you'll see all kinds of things there. You will see good times, you'll see struggles, you'll see joy, you'll see heartache. In a family, we live together, we love together, we care for one another, we reconcile our differences. When something doesn't go right, we don't take off and ditch the family. We stay in the family together. And it's a community of believers working together to take the kingdom to the world. The family is the best picture of the church. John 1, 12 to 13 says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. That is the best picture of the church as a family. Pastor John recently made a statement, and I wrote it down because I knew this sermon was coming, and he said, the church in America is a very poor version of what it really should be. And that is so true. Do you know why? Because we think like an audience or like a customer or like a consumer or like an owner rather than thinking like a family. So this morning from this general idea of what a church is and is not, I wanna share with you four areas where I believe the evil one has infiltrated the church. We are all, we have all been infiltrated. And these are, I mean, I'm sure we could come up with more, but these are the four areas that I am personally am most concerned about. And again, I'm sure there's more, but I'm gonna share four with you. And as I share this, I want you to know, I'm hoping you will just see this as I'm trying to share something with you that, uh, that I think is of concern. And I hope that you will try to look at it and say, how can I apply this to my life? Because that's what the family of God needs to do. Don't try to apply this to other people. Think about you. The first area is attendance. Attendance, what I'm calling attendance. Now I'm gonna talk about attendance primarily in the worship service, but what I'm really talking about is being involved in being here. A family breaks down if people aren't involved in it. Do you know that in today's church, you are considered a regular attender if you attend twice a month? That's a sad, sad statement to me. The, the Lord is only worth 50% of our time. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in 
his book Life Together said, sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more extractive will be the power of sin over him, and the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. What's that saying? What's that saying is that the evil one tries to get us isolated from the body of Christ because then he can, he can, he can get sin to, to begin to grow in our life. I used to see that when I was in youth ministry. I saw that. In, when I was in youth ministry, it wasn't common for me to hear from a parent because their student no longer wanted to come to the church or to the youth group. The reasons given to me were usually rooted in something that was wrong with the youth group. What I often found out though in time was that it didn't have anything to do with the youth group at all. What it had to do with was that the student was struggling with sin in their life and they didn't wanna to come to church because they felt like they were gonna be made to feel guilty or they were gonna be convicted or whatever. But they were moving away, getting, staying away from the church because they were in sin. And see, that's what the evil one tries to do to us. We have a kind of go-it-alone mentality, and it's not consistent with Scripture, folks. It's a trap, and the evil one has come in and infiltrated us with this idea. I see quotes and hear quotes all the time that prove that people don't consider the church that important anymore. I read this several years ago. I'm a non-church attending Christian. I want you to know that is a complete oxymoron and couldn't be any further from the truth of the Word of God. And the person that wrote that last I saw was far from the, from the Lord. I'm spiritual, but not religious. That's coming from people that say, I'm spiritual, yes, but I don't wanna have anything to do with this stuff we call religion. My church takes place in my house. I watch it on TV. That's, that is not consistent with Scripture because church is the body of Christ gathering together. And by the way, when we gather together, you can watch church on TV, you can listen to it on the internet, but there's something lost when you're not in the community of believers. I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. Uh-huh. And we are all one of them. But let's not hold the Lord to that. We are all hypocrites. That's why we all need to get, be together to work on one another. Do you know that the church is so important to the Lord? It is He who created it to take the kingdom to the world. Matthew 16, 18 to 19 says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven that whatever you bind on earth will be loosed in heaven, whatever you loose on earth, sorry. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The kingdom of God, the body of Christ was created by the Lord to take his kingdom into the world. It's important to him. Mark Devers in his, in his book, The Deliberate Church wrote this, biblically, if a member shows prolonged negligence in gathering with God's people, how can he say he loves them? And if he doesn't love them, how can he say he loves God? Mark Devers then quotes John, 1 John 4.20, which says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister 
which they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, I'm not going to quote the whole thing to you because you should know it by now, but listen to what the Bible says. Let us not give up meeting together. It is important that we be together. I hear all kinds of reasons why people don't attend. I'm too busy. I'm tired. And Sunday is my day of rest. Sunday is our day of rest to worship the Lord. I'm a fan and I want to watch my team live. I have other things going on on Sunday. I got to bed late last night. Do you know we never let our children, if they, they, they had times that they needed to be in and occasionally they would, have, they would come in really late because of some kind of a big school event, they were always told, no matter what time you come in, you better be up and ready to go to church the next morning because the Lord is important. I'm out of town. Now listen, all these things have some merit, but for the most part, they are simply justifications for what I want to do rather than doing what the Lord wants us to do. And honestly, down deep, really what it says is I care more about my needs than what the Lord wants. And the, really, the, the Lord really becomes not that important to us when we think that way. We are too busy, too selfish, too functional, too proud, too fearful, too safe, too superficial, too brainwashed, too competitive, and too unchristlike. And I just want to encourage you, so often people don't think it matters that they're here or not. It does matter. Don't underestimate the power of being here. Corey Ogborn recently in one of our meetings said, there's an energy, there's an energy that comes with numbers. When there's more people in the room, we all just seem to worship even better. And so it's important that, you were, that you're here. The second area is membership. In our membership material, we write this. We live in an age where very few want to be committed to anything, a job, a marriage, and, or, and our country. This attitude has even produced a generation of church shoppers and hop hoppers. Membership swims against the current of American consumer religion. It's an unselfish decision, and commitment always builds character. Now, we would recognize, and we teach this, that nowhere in Scripture are you going to see the Word of God say, you need to join your local church. But we always point out, and I'll just highlight these things, that we think the concept of membership is clearly taught in Scripture. All the letters of the New Testament are written to a specific church member. How do you know who those people are if there's not some kind of a system to align them with the church? There's the realities and accountability of church discipline. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 17, talks about if a brother sins, then go to him. You know, if they, if they listen, you've won a brother over, so on and so forth. It goes on and on and on to where it says, and if they won't listen, tell it to the church. You know it's very hard to hold people accountable if you don't even know who they are and if they don't have some kind of a connection to the church. You see all the one another's of Scripture. Love one another. Who are the one another's? Those are people who have aligned themselves with a specific church. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3, 8, all of you live in harmony with one another. There is also the, the truth of the fact that the Scripture says we are taught, to, we, we are taught by, scriptures to, to the, by the Scriptures to, to obey our leaders. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. If there's no other reason to join the church, if you go to Grace Community Church, your leaders believe in membership and therefore you should submit to that. 
But I would suggest that people don't do that because they just want to do other things or they want to kind of stay behind the scenes. I'm going to share with you a, a short story to try to come at this from a di little bit different direction. Maybe this will help us to understand. It comes out of the book, Why Church Matters by Joshua Harris. And he writes this, Robert lives in Gilbert, Arizona. He likes friends to call him Fat Bob. <laughs> okay, don't call me Fat Tim, I don't like that. <laughs> I already know it's true. Um, he loves life and people and enjoys laughing at himself. He's got a good job and faithfully attends his church, but if you really want to see Robert excited, ask him about his Jeep. He talks about it like it's a person. She's my baby, he says affectionately. He searched for over two years to find just the right yellow and black Wrangler. It was spotless, just gorgeous, he recounts. Once I got my Jeep, well, of course, I had to join the Jeep Club, explains Robert. The local club had over 1,500 active members. It offered meetings, parties, trail runs, and a website where members could exchange Jeep tips. It's a whole Jeep community, Robert says. Through the club, Robert hooked up with guys who taught him the finer points of four-wheeling. As his Jeep discipleship intensified, Robert's commitment only deepened. I was totally hooked, he says. Every free moment was consumed. I was either working on a Jeep, planning a Jeep run, hanging out, and talking Jeep or going online to check out Jeep websites. I, this is Joshua Harris speaking, I met Robert at a Christian conference. He came with a group from his church to hear me speak. On the final night, I gave a message about the importance of the local church. I started by asking, are you married to the church or are you just dating the church? The question unsettled Robert. God started speaking, he remembers. He was asking me, Robert says, what are you married to, Robert? And the only thing I could come up with was the Jeep Club. And see, I think that's what goes on. We want to be connected to things other than the church. Reasons people don't join, I hear it. I don't want to. Well, how's that work with your kids? Take out the garbage. I don't want to. I don't have time to go through the classes. Folks, the truth is we make time for what's important to us. We make time for all kinds of things. If it was important to us, we would make time for it. I don't need to join to do what everybody else is doing. Well, you don't need to get married to do what married people are doing either. That doesn't make it right. I might not stay here. Okay, then join someplace else when you leave, but don't let that stop you. Really what it's saying, folks, is I don't care about what the Lord wants for me. I care about what I want. And see, that's where the culture has snuck in. It just doesn't concern me. Really, it's a lack of commitment to the things that are important to the Lord. John Stott said, if the church is central to God's purposes, to God's purpose as seen in both history and the gospel, it must surely also be central to our lives. How can we take lightly what God takes so seriously? How dare we push to the circumference what God has placed at the center? The next area is service. You know, service is really spending yourself, your energy and your times, your time and gifts for something outside of yourself. 1 Peter 4, 9 to 10 says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in its various forms. People say, I just don't feel like this is my church. Um, I just don't feel connected here. You want to feel connected? Start serving. It's the best way to get a sense of ownership in the church. Service is the best way to build relationships. If you feel like you don't know people, start serving. It's the best way to build relationships. You can read Ephesians 4.16 for yourself. I want you to know that membership is not a spectator sport. I mean, church and membership is not spectatorship. We should be involved. Romans 12, 3 to 8 says, For by grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. See, if we don't serve, we're only thinking of ourselves. And the Bible says don't do that. But rather think of yourself with, jo- with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given us, given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body and each member belongs to the others. I think every believer, I certainly want to ask this of myself, ought to regularly be asking, what can I do to serve God and others with what He has so generously given to me? Sunday is a work day out at our new property. If you're not serving and you want to get started in a really easy thing to do, grab a hoe, grab a uh, shovel, grab a rake, come out to the property. And anybody can knock weeds out and pick them up. I'd encourage you to do that. When it comes to service, now I'm sure there are exceptions to what I'm going to say right now. but the exceptions are not what concern me. It's the, it's the overall um, kind of mentality of the church. There are things that make no sense to me. I don't understand, I really don't. I don't understand coming to church, going to a service and going home. I don't understand that. I really don't. I don't know why we don't come to church one hour and serve the second hour. It's just a couple of hours. Okay, it's three hours. I don't understand putting my kids in Sunday school and going home after church. In other words, I don't understand coming to church, putting my kids in Sunday school, going to services, taking them out and going home. I just don't understand that. I wish someone could explain it to me. You know, years ago we did this thing where we said, just serve one Sunday a month. I thought it was a slippery slope then and we have slidden all the way down it to the point that we think service just happens one Sunday a month. Um, I know you can't read this, I don't intend you to read it actually, but that's the children's Sunday school um, hour with all the people that are serving. The highlighted, by the way, are, are uh, the ones that still need um, help with them. I mean, those are open slots. For the most part, we have that hour covered and there's a lot of people and God bless you if you are serving in that because we need that. This is the second Sunday school hour, and you'll notice that bottom line down there. You know we had to close our third and fourth grade classes last week, and we had visitors that came to our church, and we had to tell them we could not take care of their kids. That is sad to me. I asked Kathleen, I said, why is there so few slots in the second hour? And I said, don't tell me because I already know. This doesn't apply to everybody, but for the most part, what this says is, to me, is that some people serve one hour a month. And by the way, if you see 
You see the, the yellow going all along the bottom of that? If one person served every week, the whole line would be filled up. When we say we need like 20 people, that's 20 people to serve one hour a month. And, but I know what happens. Everybody wants to come to the nine o'clock service and go home. So well, here's what I think happens. I think some people, I do not know who you are, so don't think I'm talking to you individually. But I think some people come and one Sunday a month they serve and they go home, so they don't go to services during that time. But the other three Sundays of the month, they come to services, they put their kids in Sunday school and they go home. And during that time, people that are serving maybe other times and they want to stay, they can't put their kids in Sunday school because we don't have people there. That came out a little convoluted, but I think you get the point. We need to fill those slots, folks, and I would encourage you, some of the people that are our most favorite people that serve every single week don't even have kids in the children's Sunday school anymore, and they do it every week, every year, and so I just want to encourage you in that. I do not understand how we can really read the scriptures and justify not serving in the church. I don't know how you can do that, except that you just kind of blow it off, if you will. We need to be serving elsewhere as well. And the fourth area is giving. Okay, I'm going to meddle a little bit. We don't teach on giving very often. And people say, why don't we? Well, because we don't want to make people feel guilty. That's not our job. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm trying to share with you what the scriptures say. And I think if we read the scriptures, should not God's people be the most generous people in the world? Should they not? The Lord has so graciously given to us, should we not give in return? I'm going to, this is not in reference to giving to the church, but I think it's in reference to a mentality of church people. This is written by someone who I've been ministering to for years who is a waitress. And here's what I saw her put on her Facebook page one day. So there are plenty of people that I absolutely love and respect that go to church. I believe in God and Jesus dying on the cross, but working in a restaurant on Sunday kind of makes me want, not want to go to church ever again. Just saying, she says. I asked her about it because we're friends and I've been trying to minister to her. She says, Tim, Sunday? We don't make a lot. Our tips are really what the lion's share of our, um, of our salary. And church people are just so, they just don't give. And I think, wow, that is sad. So I've been trying to give her bigger tips to make up for it. I'm not kidding you. That grieves me. Matthew 6, 19 to 24 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And what that passage teaches us is we serve God, and, but there's another God out there, 
and it's referred to as money or the world system, if you will, and that can, that can take our time and our efforts and, and we can begin to worship that without even knowing it. And if you really want to not serve money, learn to give. Giving to the Lord is an act of worship. When we give, we are telling the Lord that we trust Him. When we give, we are telling Him that we understand that all that we have comes from Him. When we give, we tell Him we love Him and we love His ways. The bottom line is, is that we invest in what's important to us. So if the Lord is important to us, then we would want to invest in what's important to Him, and that is His church. Now I want to share with you, I'm going to just do a little bit of teaching. I want to share with you two concepts. I don't think this is going to really be that big of a aha for you, but you know, we have a lot of people that didn't grow up in the church these days, and so I want to make sure everybody understands. The first concept is taught in the Old Testament is what we call the tithe. And people say, what's a tithe? Well, basically a tithe means 10%. God gives you 100% and the tithe teaches that you give 10% back to him. And it does recognize, by the way, that all that you have, the Lord gives you. He only expects 10% for his work and his kingdom. It reminds me, by the way, of the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve were put in the Garden of Eden and God says, you can have all of this. You just can't have this. Just do not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve said, I want all this and I'm going to take this too. And you know the mess we're in as a result. That's the way we think, that's the way money gets us. God gives us all 100%. He just asks you to give 10% back to support his church. Um, by the way, it isn't a suggestion. It is a command. There's no way to get away from that. Malachi 3.8.10 says God is speaking to his people and about the fact that they have always, they have consistently moved away from him and not followed him. And he says this, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. This couldn't be any clearer, folks. There's just no way to get around it. We are robbing God if we are not giving to his church, the storehouse. This is why we teach that the tithe ought to be given first and foremost to the church, and then everything beyond that 10%, if you want to give to other things, you can, that's your choice to do that. Now, hang on to that, and I'll come back to it. In the New Testament, there is, I call it, some people don't like these terms, I just don't know what else to call it, grace giving or cheerful giving. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7 says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he's decided to give in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It couldn't be any clearer that when you read this, it is your decision to decide. God gives you the right to choose what you are going to give to him. He doesn't want us to give out of duty, but out of a cheerful heart. This is why we don't want to know what someone gives, and in our church, only, the, only a very few people know what people give because we have to count the money, but I don't and, and most don't. 
It's between you and God. Now I'd like to talk through, with those two ideas in mind, I'd like to talk through some views that people have or that I've heard. Here's one. I don't tithe because it's an Old Testament concept that isn't a part of the New Testament. That is, couldn't be any further from the truth. Jesus himself in Luke 11:42, speaking to the Pharisees says, woe to you Pharisees because you give God a tithe, I'm paraphrasing just a bit, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the tithe without leaving the former undone. Jesus himself says you are to keep the tithe. Just don't neglect these other things. In Matthew 5:17, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So the tithe did not pass away. That's just an excuse. Here's another view. And this is a view that I had, by the way. I'm sharing with you one of my views from years ago. I don't give because I'm not at the point that I can give cheerfully. I had that view. I thought, I'm struggling to give. I didn't grow up. I wasn't taught about giving to the Lord. So I grew up not knowing about all that. So I battled with that. And I thought, every time I would give to the church, I would think, <laughs> you know. And then it hit me one day. Why am I not cheerful? Because I had money allocated every place else and I didn't have money to give to the church. I had things that I thought were really important that I was giving to and then I didn't have money to give to the church. And I, I realized that this isn't saying we shouldn't give. It's saying we should get cheerful. <laughs> so we started to readjust what we were doing in our finances so that we could give cheerfully to the Lord. Who wouldn't want to do that? It's the greatest thing in the world. We love giving to the, to the Lord, don't you? Here's another one. I do give, but I choose where it goes. I give to missionaries and other nonprofit or organizations. Okay, so think about that. It's my money, and I will decide what I will do with it. First off, if everybody did that, what would happen to the church? Really, the institution that God has created to take his kingdom of the world would cease to exist, and then all that other stuff would go away. I know you could argue that with me, but just trust me, that it would all go away. And by the way, is it, is it, just think about this practically. Is it right to be a part of something and enjoy all the benefits of that place and give nothing to it in return? Imagine if I went into Bravo Farms and they said to me, Tim, just give whatever you want for your salad tonight. And what if they said that to everybody? You'd have no Bravo Farms because people would just take it and go home. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me daily. We need to start, start thinking about something other than self and start thinking about what's important to God. Do you know that 1 Timothy 6.10 says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager, eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Folks, if you, if you do not want money to control you, learn to give to the work of the Lord. I've heard people say this, I don't tithe because I give of my time. Okay, I don't know how you support that scripturally. I think we should give of our time, but not at the expense of the tithe. That's not taught in scripture. And by the way, just for the sake of argument, let's just think through that for a moment. 
Do you know how many hours there are in a week? I'm gonna tell you, 168. 168 hours in the week. That means if you're gonna tithe your time, you better give up almost 17 hours a week. I would say our best of best people who serve faithfully would struggle to do that. Three hours on Sunday morning, three hours on Wednesday night, um, that's six, maybe a couple of hours to a praise team or something else, um, that's eight. Okay, so it takes me nine hours to prepare to do all that. It's pretty hard to do, folks. I don't give, here's another one, I don't give because I don't like how my money is being spent. I would remind you again, it's not your money. You gotta get that into your head. It's the Lord's money that is given to us. That's a wrong perspective. And I'll just tell you, I've struggled with this, but I'll just tell you, no matter where you go, no matter what church you go to, you will never 100% agree with what the leaders of the church do with that money. You'll never totally agree with it. But I would remind you that the scriptures say that the leaders of the church must give an account to the Lord. That scares me to death. If you're watching how the money is spent, you'll never give. And so my wife and I learned we're just going to give and we're going to leave the rest of it up to the Lord. And if you don't trust your leaders, then find a church where you can trust them. That's just such a slippery slope. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Folks, if everyone tithed, the church in America would not be shutting down, shutting its doors. If everybody would tithe, we wouldn't have pastors going back into the workforce because they can't afford to be pastors anymore. If they would tithe, we would have so many things we could do for the kingdom of God. But the reality is they don't. And I realized, Margie and I realized that we needed to get this right if our claim for the love for the Lord, for the, if our claim of love for the Lord was really real. I'll guarantee you, I've struggled with what you might be struggling with right now, but when it came right down to it, what I found out was, and I'll just speak for me, not for my wife, I was greedy. That's really what it comes down to. And the Lord says, try to outgive me, and that's what we've been trying to do ever since. And I would encourage you to think about that as well. Would you stand, please? You can't reason your way into heaven. You can't, you're not saved by just praying a prayer. Love is an emotion that tolerates all. That's what American Christianity says. And American Christianity says it's a personal faith um, that doesn't need others and it does need others. But I would just ask us this question and then I'm gonna pray for us. In America, why do we even need the Lord? I mean, think about it. Why do we even need the Lord? Because we have so much. And I think that's what gets us into trouble. I think really when it comes right down to it, we don't need the Lord until some kind of a tragedy happens. But folks, we do need the Lord. And His church is important. And so I would encourage you to think through these things. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for the truths of the Word of God. I pray that they would, that you would emboss them on our heart that would move us to action. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all.